Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Well, thank you for being here this morning. We, uh, as we told you, we start a new series this morning, and I've asked you to pray for me because, as you can tell, I'm getting ready to deal with some pretty tricky stuff. And uh, my, my um, plea always has been, as a public speaker, that please give the public speaker a lot of grace. Anytime you ever hear a speaker speak in public, um, give them some grace because it's very easy to be in front of a group of people and to say something that, you know, you think you've thought out, but maybe you haven't completely thought out or, you, you know, you say it the wrong way or it didn't come out. It, sometimes, you know, we do that in regular conversation and we can get away with it because we're with friends. But when you're <laughs> me and you're talking about this, um, this is daunting. So I've begged for your prayers and know that many of you have been praying for me leading up to this and I thank you for that. We start three weeks this week on a, in a series called Talking Points. I think that we can all agree that 2020 has been kind of a rough year. Yes? Rough year. Uh, are you with me? Can we just hit the, either hit the reset button or hit the fast forward button? Let's just get through it or get by it or whatever we got to do because I about had it with 2020 and I think everybody else has too. But here we are. This is the reality we find ourselves in and so we have to deal with it and talk about it. And, um, you know, certainly within the last couple of months, especially one of the things that has become very, very clear is everybody's got an opinion and a lot of people want to talk, right? Like whether they should be publicly heard or not, they, sometimes they are publicly heard and you're like, woo, just could have done without that. But so everybody has something to say. And certainly on your social media platforms, I'm sure you have seen Plenty of things like that. Social media is really nothing more than an open microphone, and I've contended for a long time that not everybody should get an open microphone. Um, there's a responsibility that comes with this gig that, uh, you know, you don't want to mess with. So, so here at Cross Lane, we have found that it's not very difficult for us to stay away from the issues of religion. We talk about religious things all the time. Now, I don't really like to be called religious, and I don't like for our faith to be called religion. I, I try to stay away from that word as much as I can, but I'm going to use it this morning a little bit. Um, but we don't have really any trouble staying off the topic of religion at Cross Lane here at church. But I have found it very easy to stay away from politics. Um, I don't delve into it. I don't address it. A lot of things happen in the world, and I'm, maybe sometimes you come thinking, well, Brett Shirley is going to talk about that. No, not really interested. I'm trying to teach you about Jesus. I'm trying to help you understand um, where you are in relationship to Jesus and hope that whatever you take away from that helps inform whatever it is that you do. So I'm, I'm not really stepping into politics a whole lot. I've had people approach me and say some things like, Brett, you know, you really need to address this, or Brett, you need to do more, which is code for, Brett, you need to talk about our side. You need to say it our way. You need to represent our case. You need to make your case, because I can guarantee you that if I said something, they probably wouldn't be thrilled with what it was that I had to say, both parties. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just a difficult thing. A lot of times people, when they want the preacher to weigh in on political things, it's really what they want is they want their agenda uh, pushed a little bit further, and I'm, I just have never been interested in doing that. However, when Jesus, when things happen in culture that intersect with things that Jesus said, I think that it can be very helpful for someone like me to take some time 
and to talk about it. And so that's what we're going to do for the next three weeks. And the, and the division in our churches created by our current context and our current culture, it intersects directly with something that Jesus taught. So we're going to take a look at it. Um, to begin this morning, let me tell you about something that happened uh, the Sunday after the 2016 election. Uh, a, a preacher that I look up to and respect very, very highly is a guy named Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley has been a, a long-distance mentor to me, and I don't know Andy from Adam, but I've just followed his career path and listened to his sermons, and you've heard tons of Andy Stanley sermons, whether you know it or not. <laughs> uh, you've heard plenty. But I heard Andy speak one time, and, and he, he was talking about uh, this thing that happened the Sunday after the election um, if you don't know, Andy Stanley is the pastor of a very large church in Atlanta. They have several campuses, some of them more urban than others. They're, they're, you know, some of them are in affluent counties, some of them are not. Um, there's probably seven or eight different churches. They've also got affiliates throughout the country. And, and so you know, they don't really do a whole lot of political things. And the election came and went, and North Point did what we did here. On, on the Sunday after the election here, I preached a regular sermon and didn't talk about the election because there, there was, I wasn't going to do that. And that's what a lot of people did. Now, not all preachers take that tack, and that's their business. But here, I'm just not going to weigh into that very much. And Andy didn't that day. He preached his normal stuff and did his best job to, to try to teach people about Jesus and help them understand who Jesus is. And then after church was over, he went to his car. He's sitting in his truck, and he's... He's scrolling through his Twitter feed, and he's looking at his mentions and, and seeing, you know, basically what anybody would want to see. Did they get the message? Did, you know, did we, did we hit a home run today? Did we do it well today? Or is there any criticism or anything like that? And as he is sitting in his truck going through his Twitter feed and looking into his mentions, he comes across a quote from an African-American woman in his, one of his congregations and this is what she said. I came to church this morning looking for reassurance. I'm scared. No one even mentioned the election. I feel abandoned by my church. Now, I can just tell you as a pastor that if you read something like that, that is going to break your heart because I don't know any pastor. And I know some that, you know, I've walked away from and thought, man, I would not want to go to their church. But I don't know any pastor really that, that would be happy with somebody thinking something like that. No, no pastor wants anybody to feel left behind. <clears throat> no pastor wants anybody to feel left out or, or overlooked or, or intimidated or any of those kinds of things. And so, you know, now if you're a Republican <clears throat> and you read that, you say something like, well, scared of what? You know, we won. Our side won. We, what, what's to be scared of? But, you know, the, the problem is if a, if a Democrat had won, maybe that role would be reversed and, and, and the Republican would say something strange like that. But she has experienced something uh, in an entirely different way and she's, you know, going to say something about it. And she's thinking something completely different than, than someone who would be happy about the outcome of the election because, because nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear, right? Because people can make a lot of money by selling fear, and it happens every day. You'd be amazed how much money you've spent 
based on the motive of fear. People sell fear to us all the time. You know, they tell you Republicans are going to take away your right to vote. And so, you know, for 25 or 50 or $100, we can keep that from happening. Or the Democrats are going to take away your guns. And for 25 or 50 or $100, you know, we can, we can ensure that that doesn't happen. Um, if President Trump is elected, it's going to be the end of the world. If, if, President, if uh, uh, Mr. Biden is elected, it's going to be the end of the world. And, and, and for 25 or 50 or $100, if you'll just give us some money, we can ensure that everything that you believe in and hope for stays the way it should be. And if you sell enough fear, you can raise an awful lot of money. But here is the question this morning, what exactly do we fear? And I'm going to tell you what the answer is. We fear loss. That's what we're afraid of. We fear loss. We fear the loss of progress. We fear a loss of control. We fear a loss of a good future for our children. We fear loss of culture. We fear a loss of freedom. White people fear what might happen. Black and brown people, Asian people, fear what has happened. And for them, sometimes, you know, it's not just a theory, it's reality for some of them, and, and sometimes not a too distant reality for them. Sometimes it's a, the history is way closer than they might have liked. And so there's fear in all of us, and it's really a fear of the unknown. And so you, you can raise a lot of money if you peddle in fear, and there are an awful lot of people today that are peddling fear. And if we're not careful, we will become victims of that. And not only will we become victims, but we will become divided. And that can't happen. Now here at Cross Lane, we are not a big church. Um, nobody's going to accuse us of being a mega church. I, I'm not even trying to make us a mega church. That's not, that's never been the goal. Um, we are who we are and what we are, where we are. And I'm, I'm rather proud of what we are. But we are a little bigger than the average church. And so, you know, we've got, we run the gamut here at Cross Lane. We've got people that are on one political end of the spectrum. We've got others that are on the other political end of the spectrum. We've got people that believe that you should do certain things with money. We've got other people who believe you should do other things with money. We've got people that, that uh, like country music and people that like classical music. And we've got people that like hard rock. And, and we've got people that love classic rock. Amen. Hallelujah. We got people that listen to Christian music. We, we got people that, that, um, that, that root for the Cardinals and the Cubs, and we're praying for them. And we got people that root for the Reds, and we love them. So <laughs> I got that in. Did you see that? Not af- I'm afraid to get into politics, but I'll talk all day about baseball. <clears throat> we, we got all kinds of people all over the planet in our church that believe a lot of different things. And, and, you know, here's the thing. I am not interested in some kind of Stepford Wives situation where we all walk around looking the same, talking the same, using the same language. I'm not interested in having a church where I teach you how to talk some spiritual language that makes you sound spiritual. I say this all the time. It's easy to look spiritual. It's really hard to be spiritual. You, You can look spiritual. You can say all the words You can know all the vocabulary, you can dress the right way and listen to all the right music, and you can be somebody that doesn't look anything like Jesus. So what I'm interested in is not, are we all, do we all look the same and clap to the same happy song? That's not the goal here. The goal is, are we unified? And so the last thing I want is for us to all be speaking the same language and saying the same thing. 
Everybody looks the same, talks the same. So if you're looking for a church where everybody's going to be that way, then you're going to need to look beyond Cross Lane because this is probably the wrong church for you. Here's the important thing. Here's what I want to say next. We at Cross Lane have an unprecedented opportunity to model for our community and perhaps even for our nation what it looks like to disagree politically and to love unconditionally. To disagree politically and love unconditionally. So here's the question, and it's a rhetorical question, which means I don't want you to answer me back. I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to say amen. I don't want you to go, mm-hmm. I don't want any of that. Because here's the thing. What we're talking about today, you probably think you've got it. You, you probably think you've got it figured out. And I probably think I do too. That's why we're going to spend three weeks on this. You think you're fine. I think I'm fine. But I want us to dig down and I want us to face some things that maybe we've never faced before. And I'm going to ask you to, I'm not going to ask you to change political parties. That's not what I'm going to do. I just want you to think a little bit differently as a Christian. And the question I would ask is, do you think we can do that? Do you think we can disagree politically and still love unconditionally? Now on the surface, we think we can. You say, yeah, Brett, I, I do. I can do that. I do that all the time. Well, just hold on a minute because I, I think I need to go a little further. I don't mean just tolerate people, right? I don't mean have an encounter with them and then you walk away and you roll your eyes like, "Woo! I can't believe they think that, you know? You, you have this conversation and you walk away and you're like, can you, believe, can you believe that? That's not what I'm talking about. I, I, what I'm saying is, let me ask it this way, because I think this gets to the heart of it. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? That's really what we're asking. That's what most Christians do. And we'll talk about this next week, but here's the thing. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus, Right? All political parties try to usher Jesus right into their platform. And they're all, it just, I crack up every, every election cycle. I crack up at politicians quoting scripture. It's one of my favorite sports is to watch politicians quote scripture. Like, oh, you know, I mean, we ask our politicians to be something that they could never be. And one of the things we ask them to be is preachers. They're not preachers, but boy, they try. And so, Everybody wants to, and so here's the thing, you can take something that Jesus said and you can line it up, if you pick the right things, you can line it up with your political persuasions and you can say, see, this is why I am this political persuasion. You can come over here on the other side and you can find some things that Jesus said that line up with what you believe is right about the world and you can say, see, Jesus said, it's God's will that I would, that God wants our party, this is the one that should rule, this is the one that's right. Everybody wants a part of Jesus. The real issue is, are you and I willing to put our political filter behind our faith filter? Because what most people do is they have their political filter out first and then their, their, their Jesus filter. And what I'm suggesting is that it needs to be the other way around. Another way to say it is this. Are you willing to follow Jesus? That's really what I'm asking. Are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates space between you and your political party? 
Are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus means that there's going to be space created between you and the candidate of your choice? And I'm just going to say most Christians struggle to do that, especially in the climate we're in now, and especially in the months that lie ahead for us. It's going to be increasingly difficult because it is so easy to be divided, and it's easy to assume that Jesus is in lockstep with what I believe politically. Now, here's what's amazing. Jesus saw this coming. Not elections. The division. He saw the division coming. After Jesus had his final Passover meal with the disciples, he prays a prayer in the Gospel of John. Theologians refer to this as the high priestly prayer. And in this prayer, there are two interesting things. First of all, he prays for us, which I think is very interesting. Jesus prays for us, which is, to me, very cool. Second thing he does, Jesus has a prayer request. And in this passage, we discover what it is that Jesus is going to ask of God. And now, aren't you interested to know what Jesus would request, especially when you realize this is one of the last things Jesus is ever going to pray? Right before he dies, he's going to pray a prayer, and he's going to ask God for something. Now, when I know that, and I hear those two things, he's about to die, and he asks God for something, I want to know what that is. In just a few hours, in a, within a window of 24 hours, he's in that window he is going to be arrested, crucified, die on a cross. And now he's praying. And what he asks the Father has everything to do with all of us who consider ourselves Christians. This is what he prayed, John 17, verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Now the hour that Jesus is referring to is the hour when he is glorified, and we would have been most horrified. We, we wouldn't probably want to have looked on Jesus in the hour that he refers to as his glorification hour, but this is the hour that God has decided that his son is going to go to a cross to redeem the whole world. What would horrify us, Jesus says, I'm glorified in that. And Jesus is saying, okay, before those hours kick off, there's something, God, there's something I've got to ask you. Heavenly Father, I want to ask you something. Uh, verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. And what comes next here is amazing. And here's the thing. I'll bet if you ask most Christians what comes next, they couldn't tell you. Most Christians probably cannot tell you what Jesus says next. So when you leave here today, you're going to be smarter than the average Christian because you, you're going to get this, right? You're going to leave and you go, I know something everybody else doesn't know. Now, it's in the Bible. It's been in John the whole time. This is Jesus' prayer request to the Father at the very end of his life. Second part of verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that, in other words, this is, there's, per, there's a purpose to this protection. This is what we call a purpose clause. And Jesus has already given the, the disciples some bad news. He says, here you go, boys. Here's what it's going to be like. Some of you are going to be arrested. Hate to tell you this. Some of you are going to be beaten, thrown in jail. And this is the really bad news. Some of you are going to die. That's your future. To which the disciples said, been nice to have known that on the front end, right? Like, been really good to know that on the front end. 
not really helping me a whole lot on the back end, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's why I didn't tell you that. Here he is, he's praying that God would protect them. But he's not praying for their physical protection, which is how we pray and how oftentimes as parents we have prayed, right? When you pray for your kids, probably more times than not, you're praying more for their, their physical protection than their spiritual protection. It's just, it's just kind of what we do. <clears throat> he's praying for something that he thinks is more important than their physical protection, and here it is, verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be, and here's what's interesting, here's, here's what Jesus wanted more than anything else, that they may be one as we are one. That's what he prayed for. At the very end, the thing that Jesus is most concerned with before he goes to the cross is not his own protection, not the physical protection of the disciples. He knows what's going to happen to them. What he prays for, what he's calling out to God for is, Father, make them one. Unify them. Do not let them be divided. Because here's what he knew. He knew that as long as they were in lockstep together and in lockstep with his heavenly father, they would change the world. But he knew that if anything divided them, they would lose all momentum, the whole thing would stall out, and it would be over. And he knew it. Then in verse 20, he prays for you and he prays for me. My prayer is not for them alone, not just these 12 guys. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which is the next generation and the next generation that leads right up to us. So Jesus is praying for us. And what do you think he prays? What do you think the answer is to what he prays? The answer is not what we would pray for. He's praying for stuff we wouldn't pray for. I have a sneaking suspicion, and it breaks my heart to admit this, but I suspect none of us has really ever asked God for what Jesus asked God for, and I doubt that any of us have ever prayed what Jesus prayed. Even though he modeled it, and even though this was something that was very close to his heart and very important to him, which may be the problem because maybe if the church and maybe if guys like me had been praying prayers like this more and leading our congregations to pray these kinds of prayers and leaning toward this and pleading for this, maybe the world would be a better place. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them, and in the first century what that meant was rich and poor, slave and free, generals and soldiers, tax gatherers and tax payers, educated and uneducated. In the 21st century, what that means is Republicans and Democrats, privileged and not so privileged, independent, indecisive, libertarian, librarian, right? Lots of money, no money. Black, brown, white, male, female, married, unmarried, you name it, encompasses all of us. And Jesus says, all of the people who call me Lord, no matter where they're from or what they've experienced or how good life has treated them or how poorly life has treated them, I pray that all of them, this vast dispersion of people with different experiences, I pray that all of them may be one. Which sounds impossible. But Jesus was convinced, convinced that 
Not only was it possible, but it was mission critical, which means it was imperative. This wasn't a wish. This wasn't an add-on. This isn't Jesus just saying, hey, you know, can't you guys just get along? Which means we must become intentional in ensuring that there is unity in our local church because this is what Jesus prayed for. And this does not come naturally. And the reason it doesn't come naturally is because we know what we know. We were raised by who raised us. We spent time around who we spent time around. We've gone to school and gotten the education that we got. We grew up a certain way with certain influences. You've been coming to Cross Lane, and so you've had an influence from me and the people who teach here. And that's infected and affected the way you think sometimes. I would like to think for the better, but that's a part of your experience. And we've all got an experience. And you can't really change that. And so we gravitate to our own little corner of the world relationally and and educationally and politically and economically. And Jesus is thinking, my church is going to be so diverse and there will be so many colors and languages and cultures it's going to be international and if there's any way they could remain one and then Jesus continues his prayer verse 21 the second part father just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that and here's another purpose clause why did he pray for oneness the reason Jesus prayed for oneness really doesn't have anything to do with us He prayed for oneness because of what he wants to do through us. Through us. And you can have a lack of unity in the local church, and the local church will survive, but you cannot have a a lack of unity. You cannot have division in a church and still expect to accomplish the will of God. The mission statement of the church at Cross Lane is that we would bring people to Jesus. And we will do that as long as we stay unified and keep our eye on the prize. But the moment we become ununified and divided, you can forget us ever bringing somebody to Jesus. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And he says, the reason I want them to be one is so that the world, not the people in the church, But the people outside the church, outside the faith, the people who roll their eyes whenever they even think about Christians. The people that when you say Christian to them, they're like, oh, gee, I mean, do we really, can I I take a pass? The people who are driving up and down Lafayette Avenue right now who have no desire to turn left or right to come into this building. That the idea that they would come in here is just foreign to them. Jesus is saying, look, when they see the unity, in spite of all the diversity in the church, maybe they actually come to the conclusion and that they might believe and they might be convinced that, Father, you have sent me. And Jesus says, look, this isn't an odd wish. This, this, is, this, is, this isn't an add-on. This is... Mission critical, this has to happen. The only way the world is going to sit up and take notice of this beautiful thing called the local church is when the church works together and is unified, even though we may disagree, even though we've been raised in different worlds, even though that we don't see the world the same way politically. And yet at the same time, there is this beautiful 
magical unity. And Jesus says, look, I'm just telling you that the way forward, the way you're going to get the, in, the attention of the empire, he's talking about the Roman Empire, the way you're going to get their attention and the way you're going to get the attention of pagans is that they, they see something that they've never seen before and you, you cannot sacrifice your unity for anything. And what Jesus is actually doing is he's asking God to come along and nudge us along after he prays this prayer. Like, God, help him do this. Because what he said was, look, I'm about to leave, and, and here's the, the one thing I don't want you to forget. I'm going to give you a new commandment. See, up until now, you've had 613 commands. You've had 613 different laws, different thing, rules that you've got to obey. And Jesus said, I'm going to simplify that for you. I'm going to give you one there's one thing I want you to remember. The new command is this, love one another as I have loved you. That's it. That's all you got to do. Just do that one thing. Forget the other 613. That'll confuse you. If you'll just do one thing. Listen, if you just do this one thing, if you just love other people the way Jesus has loved you, man. Now that isn't easy. Loving other people the way Jesus has loved you is not easy. Jesus loves me when I am extremely unlovable. Jesus said in John 13, 34, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this wasn't a, 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 a suggestion. This is a new command. These are our marching orders. And again, this isn't even about us. He says, look, the reason I want you to love each other isn't just so you'll get along. John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus is praying, Father, just help them to get this one thing right. And as this thing expands and grows, because Jesus knew the church was going to grow, and he said, look, if they can just get this one thing right, it's going to work. If they'll just love each other as different as they're going to be in so many ways. Back to John 17, Jesus said this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Not political unity, but unity of purpose, unity of a worldview. May they see each other as I see them, and they, see, they may see me the way I am to be seen. And then look what he says. He says, then, and again, it's not about you, it's not about me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He's saying, Father, you and I know that everything rides on their unity. If this is going to work, it's, it's riding on their unity, not their politics, not their culture, not their language, not their theology or practices. They must be unified around one core, and if they are, the world will change. And here's the cool thing. After the resurrection of Jesus, it happened. The apostles went into the streets of Jerusalem with one purpose, to make disciples of all nations. And they went with one message, and the message was, the king has arrived. The Messiah is here. He has come to reverse the order of things, to bring the kingdom of God to earth, and he is unlike any other king we have ever seen. This king will lay his life down for you. This king will not ask you to lay your life down in some war for him. He'll do the, he'll do the dying. 
And he'll do it for broken, common, sinful people like me. And they went into the streets with one single command to love each other the way Jesus had loved them. So here's the thing. Your political candidate in the upcoming election will win or lose on a Tuesday in November, and it's basically going to come down to who shows up and who votes. That's what will determine that. And your candidate will win or lose based on what happens on a Tuesday in November. But the church wins or loses based on how we treat each other every day between now and then and every day after that. We win or lose based on whether or not we decide to love one another the way Jesus loves us. And Jesus says, look, I'm just telling you that when you do that, you're going to win. We must not. There is no wiggle room. This is not an add-on. We must not let anything divide us, and we must not let anyone divide us. Never forget this. It was Christianity that changed the Western civilization. Not politics, not a politician, not an emperor. It was Christianity. It was the message of Christianity that changed the Western civilization. And you find me a staunch atheist, and they will not even disagree with that. Nobody disagrees with that. It wasn't American politics. It wasn't Democrats or Republicans. It was Christianity that shaped Western civilization. It was the teaching of Jesus, not political parties, that laid the groundwork for our modern sense of justice and fairness and dignity for every single individual. And we have not gotten that right all the time, and we haven't gotten that right even in the last year. We haven't always gotten that right. But the hope is, is not that some, the perfect political party is going to come along and fix this. The hope is not your political candidate. Listen, your political candidate, I don't care who you're planning to vote for in November, they are not Jesus, and they don't even come close to having the power that Jesus has. They are imperfect. They have an agenda. They will be selfish. They are fallen. Jesus is none of those things. And they don't even hold a candle to him. And it was the church that introduced these ideas of justice, fairness, and dignity in the beginning. So why in the world would we opt for something less than that? And why in the world would we allow ourselves to become divided in some way? Throughout our short history as a nation, both political parties have gotten it wrong. Throughout our short history as a nation, both political parties have had candidates who ended in disgrace, who got things wrong, who, who their private lives were a mess, who, you know, the, the tabloids and the, the press had a field day with, with them and loved to write things about them. That's nothing new. We, we've had political parties and political candidates fail us morally and fail us from a leadership perspective. We've had some that got it right and did a pretty good job. And then there's this. Throughout our brief history as a nation, there have been several parties that were started and they had great ideology as far as they were concerned and they were very passionate about what they believed, but at some point they got to a place where they had to turn out the lights and there were, the, the party ended. Now at one time, this party was on fire, passionate, we're, we've got all the answers, and then one day that party ceases to exist. Now you say, Brett, why are you talking about that? Let me just ask you a question. Anybody in here still a Whig? 
No, no Whig party people in here? Federalists? Those were political parties. And, and if you had gone up to somebody and said, hey, what do you think about politics? They would have impassionately told you about what they thought ought to happen from a political standpoint. But then at some point, they went out of business. You say, Brett, why, why is that a big deal? I don't understand. Here's the thing. There are certain views that you hold today that you probably didn't hold 10, 15 years ago. Your views have changed. I, I, I venture to say that if I asked you, is there something that you believe today that you didn't believe 10 or 15 years ago, you would say, oh, yeah, there's a lot of things. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think you're going to get 10 or 15 years down the line, and do you think you're still going to think exactly the same way today that you do 10 or 15 years from now? I can tell you this. My political views, religious views, just, just about everything that I can imagine has gone through changes in the last 10, 15, 20 years. And I have no reason to think that that's not going to continue to happen. I'm going to have new experiences, new things. I'm going to learn new things. Science is going to teach me new things. Science alone has confronted me with certain things. And I go, well, I've always thought this, but science is telling me that. And, and the science isn't necessarily wrong. Science isn't the enemy. Science tells me how God did it. Oh, that's how God did it. Well, that's not how I've always thought God did it. So I'm going to have to change some things. Why would we as followers of an eternal king allow ourselves to be divided by the temporary policies of systems or leaders or politicians or platforms? Why would we allow ourselves to be divided by lesser kings? Why would we do that? And why would we ever allow ourselves to be divided over fear? Jesus' most often repeated phrase was the phrase, fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Now, the context in which Jesus was uttering those words was a context where on one side there was a temple that couldn't wait for him to mess up so that they could get him in trouble. They were just waiting for him to slip up, and when he did, they wanted to be there to catch him in it so that they could then turn him over to the other side that is on him, which is the Roman Empire that has the ability and the capacity to crucify you. And so Jesus is walking this tightrope between these, these temple people over here that hate his guts and the Roman Empire over here against which he's not, he doesn't really have a beef with them, but they have a beef with him because he's calling himself God. And so he's walking this tightrope, and in that context, he says, fear not, the king has come. And when the king's people rally around the king's message, you and I both know that extraordinary things can happen. Because in history, it did happen. So why would we allow any political view, whatever it is, of you, I might add, you are one day going to outgrow. I just talked about this. At some point in your life, you have changed something about the way you believe. My brother, when he was a little boy, not little boy, but when he was a young man, was one political party. Staunch, adamant. Couldn't hardly talk to him. I couldn't hardly stand to be around him. And then all of a sudden, some things happened in his life, and he had a new experience, and he decided, you know what? I don't buy that anymore. I don't believe that. Now, some things he still does. But he'll say, he'd say, I don't, that, that's, that's garbage. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And he changed. I'm just using him. It could be any of us. We, we all could do this, right? 
There have been things that you've gone through that have changed the way you see the world. It affects your worldview. It affects things. And you, and you change. Why in the world would you let something where you might not even believe the same way five or ten years from now, why would you let that come between you and someone else who is eternally saved by God? We're letting temporary things affect something here that is eternal. Can't let that happen. Our views are temporary. Why would we run the risk of letting a strongly held or not so strongly held political view divide us from a living, breathing you? When Jesus' single command is, look, you believe what you want to believe, vote for whoever you want to vote for, but don't you dare mistreat somebody that is created in my image. Don't you do it. Why would we allow a political view to divide us from actual living, breathing people that Jesus died for? Your son, your daughter, your mother, your sister, your brother, your best friend, your teacher, your student. Why would we not fight and sacrifice for the unity that our King and our Savior prayed for? It was the unity of the church that got the attention of the pagan world and eventually the empire that was responsible for crucifying Jesus would embrace Jesus. So the question is, do you want to do this? Do you want to love unconditionally and disagree politically? I say this with great confidence. This is God's will for your life. There's a lot of things I wouldn't say with great confidence are God's will for your life. But this is God's will for your life, that you love unconditionally. This is what Jesus prayed for. So two suggestions. As we begin this series, the first thing I'd say is, is would you pray like Jesus prayed and Jesus prayed for oneness? Would you pray for oneness? Would you just start praying for the church that the church would be one? That's a really important prayer, and I'm going to show you the prayer. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. This isn't about church growth. This isn't about cross lane getting big. It's not about any of that. If Jesus said, if they'll stay, stay one, the world will know what I'm up to. If they'll stay one, maybe the world will pay attention and look up and see me. So we should pray this, Heavenly Father, Make us one so that we can influence many. Now, this is what Jesus prayed right before he died. He wanted this more than he wanted the protection of the people that he loved the most. So I would like for you to pray what's in that box with me. Let's pray this together, okay? Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. Now, you guys were better than the first service, okay? First service, weak sauce. I'll pray it again. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. That's what we're about. That's what bringing people to Jesus is about. The second thing I want you to do is this. I want you to look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. And you're like, Brett, Brett, I'm not friends with anybody that I disagree with politically, to which I would say, bing, 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 bing. That's the problem. That's the problem. See, if you've ever said this, if you've ever said, I do not understand how anybody can think that, then you just admitted something about you. You just admitted that you are not educated. 
because they hold that opinion for a reason. Has it ever occurred to you to sit down and say, help me understand that? Because that's so far away from where I am, and we may never agree on this, but I don't want to have bad feelings here. I want to I try to understand you. And maybe, just maybe in the process of having a conversation, you come away a little enlightened. You come away and you go, you know what? I'm really glad I had that conversation, and I would have never had that conversation if I hadn't loved them unconditionally and tried to sit down with them and just have a talk where they could inform me and help me to have a different view. I don't know that I completely buy it, but I at least understand where they're coming from. I hadn't thought about that. When you say things like, I don't understand how anybody could believe that, you're really saying more about you than you are about somebody else. So two things. Father, may we, conf- may we pray for oneness so that we may influence many and look for an opportunity to love somebody unconditionally with whom we disagree politically. And that's going to be harder now than ever because we are more politically divided now than we ever have been before. But here's the thing. When we get this right, it will shine in the darkness because it is darker now than it's ever been. And if we can just get this right, some light is going to emanate from us. Now, as I close, here's what somebody's thinking in the room. And I almost can promise you somebody's thinking this. Here's what they're thinking. Brett, cool sermon. But that's your job. Right? You're the preacher. You're supposed to get up and you're supposed to tell us to love one another and be nice. Oh, be nice. Just be so nice. That's your job, Brett. You're supposed to get up and tell us to just, you know, Jesus calls us to unity and all that's wonderful. But Brett, don't you think, don't you think you're being just a bit naive? And the answer is no, I do not. Here's naive. Here's naive. Naive is a Jewish rabbi in the first century standing out under the hot sun in the middle of nowhere. He's from nowhere. Nobody had ever heard of this guy. He's got these 12 guys standing around him who are younger than him. None of them have any political clout or juice whatsoever. And Jesus says, I'm going to start something that is going to ignite and the gates of hell will not stop it. That's naive. (laughs) And these disciples are looking around like, is he talking about us? We're going to start this thing. I mean, we, we don't have any money. We don't have any political clout. We don't have anything. What's he talking about? And he says, no culture, no political system, no police force, no nothing is ever going to be able to stop this. Not now, not ever. Now, that is naive, but here's the thing. He did, and it didn't. He started that movement, and nothing ever got in the way of it. Nothing could stop it. And we are a part of it. And our unique sacrificial oneness is key to fueling it in our generation and for generations to come. So, disagree politically, love unconditionally, pray for me this week to get through this series, and come back next week for part two of Talking Points. Let's pray together. Father, Our world needs you. 
and stuff that's going on isn't a surprise to you. It's not news. You don't need me to tell you anything about what's going on. You don't need me to tell you that we're divided. You don't need me to inform you on any of this. You know, you got it. I think really what our prayers should be is instead of praying for everybody else, maybe we should just start praying for us. God, help me to see where I need to change. Help me to get my head and my heart around this idea of loving unconditionally those with whom I disagree because, God, it's just a whole lot easier to be nice and walk away and roll my eyes that that is not the way of Jesus. And, Father, before I pray for the whole church, I would just pray for our little corner right here at Lafayette and Cross Lane that you would not let something as temporal and foolish and subject to change as a political party or a political view to come between us and to get in the way of our unity. And so, Father, would you help Cross Lane to be the beacon and maybe we could change the world. And, and even as I pray that, I think, man, can that even be done? And here's what I know. I know that you've done a lot more with a lot less than that. So, Father, we just very humbly this morning, as we head into this election cycle, we tell you that we love you and our eyes on you. And Jesus is the king, not some temporary wannabe. Help us to love one another and help us to be one so that we can influence the many. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.